The Answer Report Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash answer report to get your free 30-day trial and free audiobook download. One who knows nothing can understand nothing. Plunge deeper into the darkness, and your heart will grow even stronger. Good tidings, everybody. Welcome to the Answer Report Podcast. I am Michael, and with me, as always, is my brother, Jason. Hello. Just the two of us again this week, as we're going to continue our discussion on the Sleeping Realms theory. The Sleeping Realm. Hope you guys, uh, we're actually recording this before the other one goes up, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Hopefully people don't hate it, and then we're just doubling down on it before anybody knows. Anyway, if you want to hit us up, you can hit us up at AnswerReportPodcast at gmail.com to ask us any questions. Say hello, do whatever you want to do. Don't send me spam, though. Please don't. If you're a Nigerian prince, I don't want to give you money. I'm just telling you right now. Okay? Well, uh, I mean, if you're actually a Nigerian no, prince, No, no, sure. because you won't fool me. Okay, but like, out of the thousand, at least one has to be real, right? No. Actually, no, no Nigerian princes need your money. Oh. There's just one quick little subject I want to talk about before we get into the Sleeping Realms again. And, uh, uh, Tai... Tai... Tai Yosu. Yosui. Yusui. Tai Yusui, co-director of Kingdom Hearts 3, recently did a talk at GDC about game development and how they used Unreal Engine to help with the game development. And it's actually a pretty uh, interesting... Informative. Informative. It's about six minutes long. You can check it out on YouTube. Yeah, it's not too long. Uh, it, it's it's pretty cool. I, I really enjoyed uh, the parts I watched about it. Some of the stuff about like Rapunzel's hair and um, how they made the lanterns for the Tangled scene. That stuff was pretty interesting, actually. But what I want to talk about, he did make a comment. The one bit of news, quote unquote, we got from this is that he said critical mode is coming very soon. Very soon. Very soon. Now, I don't know what his timeline is for stuff, but he said very soon. It could be out by now. No, uh, I guess, but I doubt it. There's a, there's a chance. There's a chance, but I doubt it. Anyway, I saw some people on Twitter have some disparaging comments disparaging about they expected more from his talk at this conference like it was like it was e3 or something and he was mm. announcing a new game and they he didn't do it so they were mad because he just talked about like game development that's what right. the game developers conference is for you idiots it's called <laughs> gdc game developers conference it's not hey announce new dlc for a bunch of whiny baby fan base stupid <laughs> idiots that's not what it's called i don't even know what the acronym would be for that it's too many letters right but I saw people on Twitter being like, well, I'm done with Kingdom Hearts anyway. Cause it's like, get over yourself, dude. Right. Like, what does that have to do with the GDC? Yeah, I don't know. Can you tell me one thing? It's a game developers conference. You know? Right. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand why people would be, like, mad. Like, okay, like, it would make sense if they announced something. Like, I, well, it, I wouldn't be super surprised if they if they announced something, right? That's not something I would, like, expect from, like, a conference like that. And if my name on Twitter was Kingdom Hearts-centric, I'm not going to call any names. Because I don't I don't really know this person. I don't know if he's popular. I don't know he or she, I guess, is popular. 
but their name was Kingdom Hearts centric. Okay, like it was almost like they were on a website about Kingdom Hearts is what it seemed like. And yeah. then to say I'm done with Kingdom Hearts because they didn't announce anything at the game developers <coughs> conference. Yeah. I don't even understand. Anyway, that that was it makes me sad. That was grinding my uh, gears today. It was grind. Uh, not today. I actually saw it the other day, but it, it made me go, huh, mm. huh. But hmm. anyway, critical mode is coming soon. Yeah, so, that's so good news. Be on the lookout for some critical mode. I can't wait. Yeah, uh, it'd be really cool to check that out and see how that how that rolls, what that means. Yeah. I, I hope we get some kind of announcement soon, though. I think um, critical mode is going to come in April, and then I think at E3, Square Enix will have like a presser where they go, "Coming this month to Kingdom Hearts three." New bosses, new this, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or not even this month, but coming soon to Kingdom Hearts right, 3. Right, yeah. Like, new Next bosses, new months. this, da, 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 da. I think Square Enix will definitely... Kingdom Hearts 3 was a big success, and they'll go, yo, we're going to announce some stuff at E3 about Kingdom Hearts 3. Nope. I can't imagine they wouldn't capitalize on that. Yeah. But I also think they're going to dedicate a large part of their conference to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Which is cool. Hopefully it's cool. Hopefully it's neato. Hopefully it's really good. I uh, we'll see on that. I don't know if that's. I feel like it's just, like, are, is it the same? It's supposed to be the same story, right? Like generally. Well, they originally when they were talking about it, it was supposed to be episodic. Episodic. Like oh, I don't this, like that. Yeah, no one's liked that. No, it's, I think they've retooled it since they, like, they had a different company working on it, and they fired that company. Mm. Um, so it was originally supposed to be episodic. And I think it's because it's such a large game, they wanted some money for it up front. Oh, like to see if it does well? Well, not even that, but just like, that is a huge undertaking to make that game in high definition. Right, yeah. Redone graphics, because it's such a long game. Like, I mean, you and I have played like, what, 20 hours of it, and we're not even even on disc two yet? Yeah. So it's it's a huge game. It's a huge And they probably have to like redo certain things with like, Okay, we don't want to do. We like, don't want. There might be a bad part. Dress. I don't know. We don't want Cloud to put on a dress like a. Lady. If I don't cross dress in high definition, I send it back. I got news for you, friend. You can cross dress right now in high definition. Why are you grabbing your junk? Um, what? <laughs> I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's grabbing his junk. Everybody, I want to cross dress. <laughs> Anyway, this isn't the Final Fantasy VII Remake podcast. This is the Ansem this is, Report yeah, podcast. Yeah, this is the Ansem Report podcast. This is good tidings. This is this is got it memorized. This is this is all kinds of Kingdom Hearts quotes. I realize I just like use a Kingdom Hearts quote that's actually the name of another podcast. Yeah, so is, that's confusing. <laughs> we're not that. This podcast. is Kingdom Hearts is light. This we are Kingdom Hearts is light. We are. Um, you know, we, we're we're popular. We got everybody rooting for us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to take a very short break. I know this was a very small segment, but I just want to dive right back into the Sleeping Realms, you know? Cause dive this is, right This in. is actually the, the third time you've experienced this podcast, and the first two times it was in a different... World line. World line. But now we're getting to the third world line. And so this is where it's juicy. This is where it gets... Spicy. Moist. Spicy juice. It gets... Like spoiled juice. <laughs> no. Ugh. Ugh. It's a, Wait, so spoiled would, it's spicy. Why would juice get sp- spicy? Why would juice get spicy when it's spoiled? 
Because it was spicy, but it's also spoiled. Why would you want that? Uh, uh, to each their own, man. I don't even think Remy would want that. <laughs> and he's a rat. <laughs> he's a literal rat that we let cook food for us and put his grubby paws on things. Do rats have paws? Or do they have claws? They have claws. No, they're, they're like paws. They have paws? Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, they got little paws, no, but then no. they got like splinter nails. No, I don't like that. I don't like paws for rats. They do. They they have Remy. He like washes them. Yeah, he does wash his hands a lot for a rat. Yeah, like there there's some rats out there that don't be washing. <laughs> their, I see them. They use the <laughs> urinal and then they just walk right out of the bathroom. They don't Those even dirty wash their rats. Hands. Yeah. Oh wait, I, sorry. I was talking about people. Yeah. I was at I was at a concert last night and I watched multiple people walk out of the bathroom without washing their hands. Nasty. Yeah. You know who you are, people at the Weezer concert at Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You know who you are. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your damn hands. Anyway, I don't know what we're talking about <laughs> anymore. We've just gone on multiple tangents. Yeah, anyway, uh, we'll be right back. Hey, Jason. Yeah. What do you think of Swiss cheese? Swiss cheese? Yeah. You know, the holy cheese. Mmm. Got a lot of holes, not a lot of cheese. Okay. Not a big fan. You're not a big fan? What if I told you that if you went to audibletrial.com slash answer report, you would get a free 30-day trial and audiobook download? Holy moly. Holy moly is right. Holy cheese. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash answer report to get your free 30-day trial and free audiobook download. Thank you, Audible, for sponsoring this podcast. Holy moly. So, you have awakened at last, princess. The keyhole is now complete. You have served your purpose. Welcome back, everybody, to the Answer Report podcast. We're now diving back into the sleeping realms. Good choice of words there. Uh, so, the where we left off, they talked a lot about Kyrie. And um, how she might not be as she seems. But this is the section that actually started blowing my mind a little bit. And their their little intro I'm going to read for you guys. The signs were there all along. So now that we have a how and a why we'd be in the realm of sleep, let's look at the what's. Through the game, there are many little unexplained oddities. Things that could be written off, brushed aside as a video game thing. Things maybe you don't notice the first time around, but are entirely too consistent in nature to ignore once you spot it. This is just a collection of things we found parsing through under the pretense of, oh my god, they're in the realm of sleep. Big or small, key or coincidence, it's on the list. DDD mechanics. Not King DDD. Dream Drop DDD. DDD. Games tend to add new mechanics and improve on what's old. It's easy to write these things off as simple video game stuff, which is fair. But Kingdom Hearts often utilizes its game mechanics as a narrative tool. For example, in Dream Drop Distance, one of the biggest hints that Riku was a Dream Eater the whole time was hidden in plain sight with an unassuming game mechanic. When you'd link with Dream Eaters as Sora, he would always do something with them, whereas Riku would merge with them since he himself was a Dream Eater. It's a simple thing that, without knowing the context, isn't something to begin much thought. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be taken into account, so moving forward. uh, The first point they make is Dream Portals. Um, Dream Portals, once you come back from the final world, they suddenly show up everywhere. Yeah. The battle gates and all that. Um, and even when you you go into uh, Master Xehanort's heart, yeah. you go into a dream portal. 
and I, I did when I we were playing the game, and that first one shows up. When you come back from Final World, there's one, but then the first Battle Gate shows up that they kind of use to explain the existence of Battle Gates. Yeah, it's like, wait, why are these everywhere all of a sudden? These were in Dream Drop Distance, and you were in a dream. But yeah. I didn't like think, oh, the whole game's in a dream. But that's just one. That's just one small thing, right? All the portals in the Final World and Skylar Kyan, both of which are known, both of which we know are connected to dreams, are bright pink, reminiscent of special portals in DDD, and pointedly different from the Battle Gates, which are blue. So even though I was talking about the Battle Gates, they're the pink ones in particular we use, and those are special portals. Pink ones. Uh, I don't know. They really like to call um, Meow Wow Bumpus, and I don't. I don't, I'm not into that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't follow. Um, I don't subscribe to that. Right. What they're saying with this is that all the links are part of the dream too. That one. That one. I'm not super into, but whatever. It's fine. Breathing underwater. They mentioned in Kingdom Hearts one that they'll drown in Atlantica, but then Donald's like my magic, right? Mm-hmm. But in daybreak town when you or not daybreak town in skalakayam where you can see daybreak town and you fight Zaynor, you're, underwater. you're underwater for a long period of time it doesn't matter and in pirates of the caribbean and the only other time sora's been able to breathe underwater without being transformed is in ddd's monstro dream world because he can breathe underwater with no issue right so normally in order for him to breathe it has to be part of Don- donald's magic otherwise he would drown right that's the idea flow motion as well, they talk about, because flow motion came from DDD, and it makes sense that that would be things you could only do in the dream world. Uh, I, I do have, this is one part of the theory that I'm kind of like, I don't know, guys, because while Sora can't do flow motion in Kingdom Hearts 2, he can do some wacky stuff in Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. And I just don't, you know what I mean? Well, I think the point is that, like, yeah, there's like, yeah, I don't know. I I, I, I agree with it. They're trying to say that not to the, like, you should be able to do flow motion in real life or whatever, but not to that degree. But I don't follow that either because, like, Roxas and Riku are running up and down buildings and Xemnas is running up and down buildings. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. I don't, uh, it's got to. Right. Yeah. That's why, that, that's what I was saying. Like, it, they, they do stuff in Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 that. Um, you could, if, if like they're saying like okay that's a a mechanic from DDD right so that's just another point that might add to that um, maybe in the next game they're like there's no flow motion because you're not in a dream world I don't see them doing it but if they do if that ends up happening then we know why right moving on they talk about the reality shift that they do where they they uh, summon the gay blade. Do they do this one free in Aqua? I, I have a hard time remembering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it. They, they take down Aqua, Aqua and they do it. Um, like the cutscene after it. Right. Go ahead. It, it says they they pull up an Ultimania thing that says that this Keyblade is the same Keyblade that's in DDD. Like it says that in the Ultimania. Yeah. My my the the point the part that I like about this theory the part that really made me go, whoa, is this next part Link Block. So they show this gif of Sora. When you it, it, okay, if you guys don't know about DDD, in Dream Drop Distance, when you were Sora, you had these dream eaters, 
that. Well, I guess Riku had them too. But when you were Sora, you had these dream eaters that would help you. You had two of them, right? Yeah, kind of like your Donald and Goofy, but you could choose right. Which one and you it want. was kind of had a Pokemon mechanic to it almost. You didn't have yeah. to catch them, but it was like training them up and all that. And you could get different abilities to go with them. And there's an ability in DDD called Link Block, and basically. It allows Sora to warp in front of his Dream Eater just before they're hit, blocking the attack. Which is literally what he does to protect Riku from Aqua. And that's insane. That blew my mind. Yeah. Because Riku is technically his Dream Eater. He's using his, his abilities from the Dream World. Still, yeah. The Dream Realm. Yeah, so they, they even say, like, down to the last frame, there's nothing there. And then they also make the point... In Dream Drop Distance, Riku says, I know I'm back in the real world, but I still have my Dream Eater powers, which means he still hasn't woken up. So Riku even says, you can't use those powers unless you are in sleep. Yeah, yep. Uh, that lends... Um, credence. Credence, thank you. I couldn't <laughs> think of the word. Lends credence to the theory that they are in the sleeping realm. Uh, their next point is about Aqua. And I'm going to just read this paragraph for us here. Hey, speaking of the impossible, saving Aqua as they set it up shouldn't have ever happened. It's established early on in the game that Aqua was at the dark margin. The same shore both Sora and Riku found themselves at the end of KH2. This is confirmed again when she's later found there by Riku and Mickey on the return to visit the Realm of Darkness. But up until this point, their entire mission revolved around the need to find someone who was close enough to Aqua to dive down deep enough to save her, like Riku had done for Sora. They have almost no options and resort to following her steps, trying to find anybody she may have been friends with. But we never see this come to fruition. Sora, with Ven's heart, is really the only one able to, but he, but even he doesn't manage to get the chance. Riku and Mickey discover her unexplicably in the Dark Margin before Sora's intervention to save them. Aqua's ascent into the abyss is even the same as Sora's in DDD. Darkness spreads across their bodies until they are covered completely, entirely, being dragged down in the abyss. Unlike Sora, who had Ven's armor protects him directly from the darkness, Aqua was defenseless. Their bodies are also similarly covered completely with a shadowy, inky black until it gives way to a more recognizable form. She's deep down there. We know this for a fact, but we don't know how on earth they got to her. We may not currently have a hard answer, but we do have an idea. Basically, they're saying that like it would be super dangerous to do, because in, in DDD, um, when... Like, Riku is woken up, but Sora hasn't. Riku has to ba- dive back down to wake up Sora. Um, he's basically saying that, like, hey, like, bad things could happen if you dive this deep. Right. And the point they make, I'm not going to read every word of it, but basically they're saying that um, because they're already one one layer down in sleep, it would they'd be closer to where she was. Mm. Right? Kind of an inception kind of... Yeah, yeah. Thing. So that because they ended up diving and that's in the dream realm or sleeping realm, then they'd be closer. To darkness. Yes. Yes. This also begs the question of how differently things could have gone the first timeline. If they never had a means or connection strong enough to save Aqua, they potentially wouldn't have had all the Guardians of Light. Their organization might have had to enact their plans of utilizing the new seven princesses of heart. This, too, is another plotline brought up and dropped. Dropped, yes, because with Aqua and thus Ventus, they gathered all the Guardians of Light, rendering the princesses unnecessary. The game even specifically mentions Kyrie is still a princess of heart, despite the rest giving up their lights and is never brought up again. But the fact remains that the chess game suggests seven lights had to come save Sora, when we never really found or even met all of them. 
However, one thing remains constant. Princess or Guardian, Kyrie would always remain a vital piece for Xehanort's plan and would always be in danger. So basically saying that perhaps in the first timeline, they actually had to go with like the Kingdom Hearts 1 telling of story, right? But they wanted to switch it up in Kingdom Hearts 3, right? Perhaps in the previous timeline, it was similar to what happened in Kingdom Hearts 1. Right. Um, and that might lead... That might be part of why when Kyrie dies, she doesn't have her heart because maybe she had to use it to save Sora for this timeline to exist type thing. Mm. So who knows? Interesting. I never thought of that. Up next, we talk about Toy Box. And because Toy Box has a very um, strange connection to Dream Drop Distance, the fact that the world has been split in two, just like um, Traverse Town and Dream Drop Distance, uh, they basically... It's almost like a retelling of Dream Drop Distance. Yeah. Which is strange. Um, like, so. talking about how some of the... Because, like, in Dream Drop Distance, if you haven't played, there's the World Ends With You characters. Half of them are stuck with Sora in his version of Traverse Town, and the other are with Riku in his version. Um, and essentially, they're both trying to get back to each other. Um, and they're kind of saying how we're seeing this one side it's it's very similar um and echoes the same type of thing as ddd and then another point they have is that young xehanort is there um and young xehanort is in ddd and he's the, the main antagonist and um he can move through those sleeping realms and he can move through time and uh, Sora, again, isn't able to hit him. He just phases through him. Um, so just another, like, big point is to, right. out, like, hey, this, it's not as, ex- like, it's not exactly what it seems. Right. And then they talk about how Sora can't uh, land a blow on young Xehanort. And so when he, sorry, when he realizes he can't, he goes to try to help his friends, but young Xehanort grabs him. And then before he gets blasted in the Viram Rex, he says a very pointed and unprompted, not this time. Almost as if this has happened before. Dun, dun, dun. So that's why this happened. Because Xehanort, young Xehanort, knows. Because he travels through time. Right. He knows, oh, Sora's going to do this so I can stop him. Right. Whereas maybe Sora was able to stop like maybe that would have been like the ending in the first time of that world or whatever so they they say it's strange how ddd is a prelude to a prelude game to kingdom hearts 3 and yet it seems like they admitted the most vital world building aspect of the game introduced dream worlds they are and they are vital given that the entirety of kingdom hearts union cross is also a dream retelling of events in order to save the dandelions from the aftermath of the keyblade war it's weird that Dreamworlds would play such huge roles in two games leading up to Kingdom Hearts 3, only for them to seemingly not be part of the plot or even mentioned. It's so careful how sparingly the game says the word dream at all, considering this entire world and its blatant reuse of concepts, almost like it may- might be on purpose. So that's kind of their point, is that it seems very suspicious that um, all this kind of stuff was dropped. Well, and like... It, it, in Dream Drop Distance, it kind of seems like there's parts where Sora seems like he kind of forgets that it's a dream. He he talks to people that he's like seen or whatever, 
and then they don't know him or whatever. Like he, right. he keeps forgetting that it's a dream, and that would make sense if this was a dream because Sora wouldn't remember it's a dream. And with all these mechanics being very very similar, like like in game mechanics and actual like like lore story, he wouldn't be like oh. Like, when this happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he lost his powers. He didn't lose his memory, you know? Right. So, that would just be another point as to why they're in a sleeping realm. They're right. in a dream world or dream line. Their next topic is deja vu. Topic of deja vu. Within Kingdom Hearts is a general rule of thumb that even though the mind may not remember, the heart never forgets. This was established pretty early as a concept with Chain of Memories. Imagine with a name like that. The, this specific example is even further proven by being one of the memories Sora can choose during his Die to the Heart. And the memory they're talking about is um, uh, Sora making a promise to Namine before having his memories re-put re together. Uh, and their point is, at the beginning of this game, one of his memories you can choose from is him pinky promising Namine, even though he should not remember that. Right. He shouldn't. He should not. He should. He doesn't even know who Nominee is. Right. Well, he does. He does, but he doesn't. He doesn't have that emotional connection. Right. Well, he no. He has the emotional connection. He just doesn't remember it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Their yeah. hearts are connected. He just doesn't remember. He doesn't it. get why he has that emotional right. connection. This is also kind of the idea behind some of the effects of time travel. If traveling through and into the future, your experiences, memories don't come back with you once you return in the past. You continue to live your life, but with an underlying subliminal need or sense to follow whatever brings you to the future you experience, as it has been etched into your heart, it's a continuity failsafe. And so, basically, after that, they show um, like clips of the cutscene um, where Young Xehanort's like, "Well, I'm gonna go back to my time and live my life, and uh, this will all still come to fruition because now I know what my true destiny is. Right. It's going to be." I, it, it's like like the follow your heart phrase right as if you time traveled and changed it so who knows right. time travel could be real and that's why you're listening to this podcast because we went into the future and we told you so now it's etched into your heart uh so basically they say there's a lot of instances where this happens uh the first example they give is goofy saying may your heart be your guiding key Something they haven't heard yet, but Goofy insists he's heard it. And Goofy says, may your heart be your guiding key. And they're like, huh, what's that? And he's like, Master Yun Sid always said that right before he went off on a real important adventures. And they're like, really? And he's like, oh, maybe I imagined it. And it just kind of seems like something you're like, that was weird. And then you just kind of move on. But that would be another point. Or Sora feeling like it's been a long time since he's been to uh, Twilight Town. And he says, it's been ages to Hainer Petzalette. And Hainer's like, what? It hasn't been that long. They're still no. on summer vacation. In Jiminy's journal, it says Hainer Petzalette are still on their summer vacation. So it hasn't really been that long at all. And then they're chalking up the Rex thinking Sora looks like Yozora to him being there before. That's why he's like... Oh, you're so familiar. Oh, you must be this. But in reality, it's because he's met him before. And then there's also um, them not knowing what the unversed is. And Goofy's like, I feel like I've seen the unversed before. It's on the tip of my tongue. Maybe the king said something about negative emotions. And then Donald just goes, unversed? And it's like, 
what? How does he know? Uh, and they went they went through BBS and from Donald and Goofy never leave Yen Sid's tower. They never see the unverse for themselves. Goofy goes from feeling like he's seen them before to confirming only Mickey ever fought and told them about them. And you could say it's a continued issue, but BBS and DDD were planned at the same time to lead into KH3. And the series has stayed remarkably consistent with itself, especially post-2010. And all of that doesn't explain why Goofy would contradict himself in his very next sentence. And I feel like this game has been in like production for so long that I'm sure it all that it's changed multiple times, right? right? And he said there's multiple s- storylines that he wrote mm-hmm. out. So I, I I doubt with like the countless times of reviewing it that they would just that would just slip through the cracks immediately. Right. I don't yeah. think so. Here's another interesting one is uh Anna and what's this doof's name again? Christoph. Christoph saying Oh, Sora feels like someone you can trust. And Kristoff's like, I'm right there with you. And then what a, a really weird scene that I forgot about um, is in Frozen when Anna gets shot by Elsa. She caps her with her ice, her ice yeah. gun. Sora feels it yeah. in his heart. Like he's Yoda or something. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's like, like <laughs> great disturbance has happened to me. You know, and it's like... <laughs> It's like, no, what? Um, and so they talk about this a little bit. Source Fan and Pain here is probably the one of the more interesting and unexplained oddities. It's hard to believe that it's just his connection with Anna, seen as we've never seen anything like this with any other character before. He feels the pain at the same moment she was struck, a shot of ice to the heart. The mind may forget, but the heart remembers, suggesting that maybe Sora took the blow in the past. Even within the movie, it said, the heart is not so easily changed, but the head can be persuaded. Sora at one point in a pirate says, the sea belongs to everyone. And Donald says, I said that. Don't copy my expressions. And they're like, wait, you did say that? Did Donald say that? He didn't say that. Right. So it's like, what? I got to tell Riku what a blast this place is. Oh, we just got here. We haven't done anything yet. Hey, Mickey, don't use the time magic against these numbers. You won't have strength for the final battle. All these are like weird things that people kind of knew. You visited the... Uh, and then Chirithi saying, hey, you visited yeah. this place more than once. Don't you have the power of waking? <laughs> like, right. You've been here so many times. <laughs> right. And then this is one of the things that also kind of got me, got me shaking a little bit. But the promotional material, uh, early trailers, like the old, led with this quote. Don't assume your dreams are just fantasy. If you can imagine a world, believe in it and dive in. And they use it multiple times. And then it just disappeared after the Toy Story trailer. Later, official sources started to use a simple but unrelated specific hashtag. Translated to only dream or there is only a dream. The first time it was used is six days to the countdown of the game coming out in Japan. Then it was used moving forward in all promotional tweets, including release day. The last time they used this was the secret movie announcement tweet. So that's pretty interesting, right? Right. That they say well, and then they they don't reference dreams at all in the game, really. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I know like part of it, like people, I think people chalk it up to like Disney uses the word dream a lot. Like a dream is a wish your heart makes. That's like a classic yeah. Disney thing. But that just seems very strange. And then we're going to talk about Lumpy, who is the most adorable character in the history of Kingdom Hearts. 
but also as a heffalump. And heffalumps in the Winnie the Pooh lore have only shown up in Winnie's Pooh's dream. Nightmares. Winnie the Pooh's dream. He's scared of a heffalump. But yeah, it's weird that they just land, randomly showed up. You know, that yeah. that there was heffalumps. And no Eeyore. I read that Eeyore's voice actor died too, just like Phil's. Oh. And that's why they didn't include Eeyore, but... You don't need to replace your. You have enough poo characters for your 15-minute section of gameplay. <laughs> but it would make sense if the Heffalumps were there because everybody was dreaming. Yeah. Because we're in the dreaming world. Sleeping keyholes, dude. Sleeping keyholes are a big one. Sleeping keyholes are a huge part of this. A biggie. Sleeping keyholes are introduced in DDD, used both as a means of entering the sleeping realm as well as awaken a sleeping world from its slumber. Starkly different from world keyholes. Every sleeping keyhole uses the same grand motifs and overall look. When unlocked, a large circular section of the background behind it disappears with an effect reminiscent of shattering glass, revealing intricate designs and symbols underneath. They are so unique, and towards the end, KH3 is riddled with them. The keyholes in DDD, the former from when they first fight Ursula and first enter the fake dream worlds, the second in Traverse Town, and the third near the end when Riku unlocks Sora's heart. And then they are used again as they say in Kingdom Hearts 3, when Sora opens the final world to save his friends, uh, the rest of the cast enter Scala at Kayim, and then Sora when he goes off to save Kairi at the end of the game. And I thought that was just like the power of waking that he was using. Right. But I didn't... Previously it was... I forgot that those were in Dream Drop Distance. So, dude, I mean, let's, let's pause here a second because... We're 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 laying all this information, right? Yeah, we're layering it, and it's 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 a lot. You know, sometimes you make a casserole, right? Mm-hmm. And you're layering it, and sometimes you just put too many layers on it, and so you need to step back and go, "Is this casserole going to be good with all these layers?" So let's talk about this casserole for a second. <laughs> is it possible that this whole game is a dream? I think so. Based on the evidence we've had so far, I really think so. I think um, it explains... This is the most um, believable video game theory I've heard since the Mass Effect 3 ending theory mm. before they did the DLC for the Mass Effect ending. Yeah. I I wonder if we could... I wonder if we could play Mass Effect 3. I mean, we still have to play 2. But I wonder if we could play Mass Effect 3 and the first time you and I play through it, we do, we the, do original the original ending. ending, and you'll go, what? And then we'll and I'll explain the theory to you. I mm, think that'd be fun. That would be good. That'd be a good time. Um, That's for our Mass Effect podcast. Though. Yeah, honestly, I, I like some of them I kind of take with a grain of salt mm-hmm. in this. Not too many of them. Only a few where I'm just like, the flow motion mainly. Right, that one's the one where I'm like, eh. I think that's the weakest point. But, I mean, like, there's just so many things that are just... They're they're wacky. There's wacky things going on. And you could say, oh, they're just reusing assets from their last games. Like, oh. they're not. Not like assets, but like like mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like directly from it. There's a lot of things that have to do with dream worlds, previous things that have happened, things that haven't happened yet, but they know. It's like... <sighs> yeah. A lot of the stuff with Donald and Goofy is real strange. Yeah. 
where they're like, I've already said that. And he's like, you did? And they're like, yeah, maybe. Maybe I did. I don't know. You know, and there's a lot of, like, and I, when watching that, I was like, this is just weird Kingdom Hearts dialogue, whatever. Yeah. But no, it's it's more than that. There's more to it than that. And I don't know if this theory in general is correct, but there's definitely something going on here that's different. And it isn't, not everything is as it seems. Yeah. And if we just go on the Kingdom Hearts 4 and everything that has happened, they just move on without explaining any of it, then I, I will be very surprised. Yeah. Because it's just, it's out there. A lot of it's out there, you know? A lot of it's crazy and strange. Well, and and I remember when we were talking about, like, when we were reviewing Kingdom Hearts 3, we're like, there wasn't a lot of twists. They kind of played it safe. Little do we know, Well, the whole thing is a twist. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> the most likely scenario, in my opinion, is that originally he had something like this planned. And like he says in that art book, I rewrote the ending multiple times, and at the end I decided to go with the most straightforward because that would make everybody the most happy. It's possible he had something like this planned and then said, you know what, that's just going to confuse everybody. Let's just play it straight. I don't think so. That I I could see that happening is what I'm saying. I don't think so. I feel like with everything that's happened, I feel like it was like, okay, they want all these new people to play the game, but they don't want them to be super confused. And DDD was really confusing, even for people who love and played all the games over and over and over and over, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like they left enough clues and hints and stuff like that for the hardcore fans to be able to pick up and kind of piece together what's going on mm-hmm. and not super confused. Because the game is confusing enough as it is for new people. Right. Right? And so if they if they went with this ending where everything everyone's like, what the hell? There's going to be... I, I think... There's going to be a lot of people who are like, I I hate the ending to this. This doesn't make any sense. I feel like I wasted a bunch of my time, and they don't want to look look into it, right? Which is fair. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to look into a game to figure out the ending and you're not satisfied with it, that's fair criticism. But I feel like if with what they add on to it or maybe what happens in the next game, people figure out, oh, my God, there's all this stuff, like, there's that classic Kingdom Hearts crazy twists where <laughs> different people are different people. Like, they're the same person and uh, right. all this stuff that's kind of... I mean, it's still in the game, but there's nothing new, if that makes sense. Right. No, for sure. All right. I think we took our break. I think the casserole is ready to add some more layers. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, we got we to gotta put the next layer, slap it Young on. Young Xehanort. Multiple cutscenes with young Xehanort stand out, the most cryptic organization member by far, and notably the one who, you know, time travels. He talks almost like he knows this is already a Sleeping Realm copy of the world, and asks Sora specifically, asks, and asks Sora if, specific, if Sora specifically can handle the strain of what's already notably a world split in two. And in Toy Story, he says, The way hearts connect in this world can provide us with a clue. So we made a copy of the world and then pulled those hearts apart. I wonder how you'll handle the strain. 
And during the dive to save everyone in the Keyblade Graveyard, young Xehanort seems to be referencing the events of DDD, except he talks as though Sora should know this specifically. The danger of using the Power Awakening to save hearts down in the darkest abyss is what Riku was warned about right before he dove into Sora's heart. But there's no reason for Sora to know unless Sora's already paid the price, like he said. All that gallivanting through the sleeping worlds, and yet you've learned nothing? Dream by dream, you nearly buried yourself in the dark of sleep. And now you're at it again? The lich you've been fighting, it's not like other heartless. It exists to usher hearts down to the depths of darkness. If you chase it, you will condemn your heart to that same abyss. What do you think the power of waking is? It's not for tra traversing hearts to reach worlds. It's for traversing worlds to reach hearts. You said that backwards. Did I? Yeah. No, it's not for traversing hearts to reach it's worlds. It's for traversing. Oh, <laughs> it's for traversing hearts to reach worlds, not for traversing worlds to reach hearts. There's a high price to pay for wielding such power foolishly. No, there's no saving you. You've paid the price, and it lies at the bottom of the abyss. And even his last words point to the consequence of something Sora's already set in motion. But Sora, you're done now. Your journey ends here. Your time in this world is... In Nomura's interview, he goes on into what young Xehanort's words meant. It doesn't change anything other than clarify exactly what he said, reinforcing that Sora has definitely set something in motion when extraneously using the power the wrong way. So the, que the, first, the question that was asked was, when young Xehanort is fading away, he says, goodbye, Sora, your time in this world is, what did he mean? And Nomura said, your time in this world is over. It's hinted at in the ending. Before that scene, he warned Sora, there's a high price to pay for wielding such power foolishly. The power of awakening is not the power to bring people back to life, but Sora was using it to do that just to do just, just that, that to his friends. As a result, time was rewound, and young Xehanort predicted that Sora would literally pay the price by disappearing. Pretty interesting. And and we knew uh, young Xehanort was up to something, and we didn't know what. And now and then we were like, well, nothing really came to fruition, except for Sora disappearing. Right. But really, the whole time, there already it was already happening. It right. already happened. They go on to talk about uh, reinforced theming in the worlds, and um, I, I suggest you guys check that out because it is pretty interesting stuff. But for our purposes today, I don't think we need to go over it. Um, it's it just basically they like talk about like similar things happen. And, yes, but and I don't know that necessarily lends credence to this theory. It's just they pick the worlds really well to be all themed together. You know, they do talk about um, how. Um, Elsa and Anna are similar to Sora and Riku. Yeah. Or Riku and Sora in that order. In each world, they, like, respectively, like, parallel what the characters in that world are going through to something either Sora has been through or is going to go through. Um, whether that's separation and then just, like, the act of true love saving and reviving, which is, like, something that happens in Disney and in Kingdom Hearts. Right. Um... Power of separation, stuff like that. So moving on, the next chapter we're going to go through is called Riku is the Light. He is the Light. Search for the light in the darkness, said the Cherithi. Now if you want the biggest example of where the game wants you to believe one thing and yet everything else surrounding it is suspect, an example of purposeful misdirection, this is it. Established throughout the entire game, the theme of true love, what it means to sacrifice yourself for somebody you love, and the power of revival through it have been hammered home. With the importance of Chirithi 
with the importance Chirithi places on finding the light in the darkness, Riku with his light in the dive to the heart, and the second chances given from an act of true love, this is what we believe is the key for the timeline divergence. This isn't new. It's hard to believe Riku himself could be a light like this due to his tango with the darkness. Let it be known that this has been foreshadowed for quite a while. While Sora has been a powerful guiding light for Riku, that doesn't mean Riku hasn't been one in his own right. In fact, it's shown repeatedly that, he's been, that he has a very, very powerful light within him. First time we see Riku in the series, in the KH1 opening, it begins with Sora shielding his eyes from the sun before it cuts to Riku's back. And that next shot after that, symbolic of his fall to darkness, that same bright and blinding sun gets blocked out by a large wave. The very first scenes of the series establish water as a representative of darkness and establish that Riku's light is powerful enough to be represented by the sun itself. So powerful that in KH1, it's a flare of Riku's own light, tangible in the moment that gave Sora the Keyblade. Um, this is from the Kingdom Hearts 1 Ultimania. And Nomura says, There is a scene in Destiny Islands where Riku is being swallowed by darkness. A light appears, and Sora first obtains the Keyblade. With the setting I created, the darkness that surrounds them is Riku's heart's darkness. At that moment, Sora enters the darkness, and the light he sees inside is Riku's heart's light. Sora, who was squirming in the darkness to save Riku, touched the light and temporarily attained the Keyblade from Riku. Basically saying his light was so powerful that it saves Sora from the darkness, and he gets the, like, just like the flare of his light also gives him the Keyblade. Yes. Temporarily from Riku. Riku and his powerful light have been reinforced as an important point since Birth by Sleep. It is his light explicitly that both Terra and Aqua see here. So they show them traveling in space. Uh, well, first Terra on his own, and he says, this light, it's so warm. And then Aqua says, what's that light? Both are shocked by it, both comment on it, and ultimately it leads both of them to Destiny Islands. In Aqua scenes, her eyes and the frame keep gravitating towards Riku. But the moment Terra gets a good look at Riku, he recognizes the light in him and states it plainly. And now the light has led me here. Light. And he looks right at Riku when he says light. Was I guided here in order to meet that boy? And this is further reinforced in DDD. Again, keep in mind, both DDD and BBS were in development at the same time. The setup in BBS was meant to foreshadow what happens with his light in DDD, and both games were meant to lead into KH3. When Sora first starts venturing deeper and deeper into sleep, chasing his own dreams until he ends up a dream version of Traverse Town, where he hears Riku's voice trying to wake him up, trying to pull him out of the darkness. Reaching for the door, he stops hearing Riku's voice. He falls back asleep, and we see his model change to Kingdom Hearts 2 Sora, brought up from that deeper layer of sleep by Riku's voice calling to him. We then see Sora chasing images and dreams of people connected to him, people he's meant to save, shown to him in quick succession. Every other character that Sora sees pulls him down further into darkness, pushing him further into the abyss. This is illustrated clearly when he sees Roxas. It's talking with Roxas that forces Sora from his KH2 model back to his younger one. His pain is what pushes him back under a layer of sleep. Yeah, it's when like he touches his hands, and then Sora just starts like crying because he feels all like the pain, and then basically saying that like that pain causes him to go deeper down. The whole sequence is a back and forth of scenes like this, cut through by Riku's words until finally he's chasing the last visions of Riku and Kairi. Sora hears Riku's voice again, and the visions disappear, replaced by a bright and blinding light. A light that takes him to when they were kids, when they met Aqua, and when Riku's light was so bright, it managed to call two Keyblade key wielders from across the universe. Until we suddenly get interjected Ansem's S.O.D. I almost said sucker of dicks. The literal embodiment <laughs> of Riku's fall, a physical reminder of the time Riku's darkness was great enough to eclipse his light. 
Sora is then yanked from this happy memory and very literally dropped, plummeted in front of Zigbar, who tells him it wasn't easy inducing the second sleep. It wasn't easy putting you into a second sleep. <laughs> Riku's words alone were strong enough to reach Sora down within several several layers of sleep. Later, Riku successful in waking Sora up from the deepest depths of slumber, diving into his heart down at the bottom of the abyss. Turns out this is no small task. And they show a clip from um, Union Cross where Achirithi is explaining... The princess was in deep slumber, only to be awoken by true love. It's a strong and wonderful power, like a, like the heart's light. So, basically, what they're saying is that Riku loves Sora so much that his light can save Sora from most anything. True love. True love. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there saying Sora and Riku were gay. I, it doesn't matter to me if they're gay or not. There's some signs. There, there's definitely I can see it both ways, right? Um, you know, and I, I would support that 100 percent if they were like, "Yeah, these characters are gay. Cool." They haven't said that though. <laughs> so, what I don't like is people who think they're gay, and then someone goes, "Well, I think they're just friends," and they go, "Oh, you're just scared of gay people," and it's like, no, <laughs> no, I just I that's what I personally think is that they're friends. Yeah. Like, you and I are friends, and I would hope that my heart's light could save you one day. Right. But that doesn't mean I want to suck your dick. No. Especially because we're brothers. Yeah. That, that adds another layer of sleep well, onto it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, because it can only be gay or incest. It can't be both. It can't both. be both. It can't be both. Anyway. The point is... <laughs> the point is they could be gay, and if they are, cool. If they're not, cool. But I personally think they're just friends. Mm. But I don't... If if Nomura comes out tomorrow and goes, hey, Sora and Riku are, in fact, 15-year-old boys who are gay lovers, which is a weird thing to think about, um, then I would say, cool. A little weird, but cool. <laughs> you know, whatever. They can be gay. It doesn't matter. But stop. You know, everybody has an opinion on it. Stop trying to shame the people that think they're not gay. Because they just have their opinion. And then they're like, oh. And then there's some people who are like, there's no way they're gay. They could be. Right, yeah. You guys need to shut up too because. Everyone shut up. (laughs) Everybody just shut up except us. (laughs) Anyway, I I want comments. Regardless? I want comments. If you think Soren Riku are gay, I want you you down in the comments. (laughs) And if you think they're not gay, I want you down in the comments. Let's get a discussion going. Gay or not. Also, does Sora Riku is gay? Yeah, does Riku Sora is gay? Also, I feel like it, it, it might just be more of like the American thing because a lot of times they just switch, they they kind of switch it a little bit in the translation. Mm-hmm. But like they so clearly kind of set up like a Sora Kyrie thing. And some then, of that is translation, right? Yeah. yeah, some of it is. Um, but yeah, I, and even from like. When I was younger, I was like, okay, yeah. I feel like they totally have a thing, right? And then it's like, it, it's definitely a thing that has happened before in stories where it's like, and, in, and I'm sure it's happened in, in real life too. There's two people who like a certain person, but then one of them realize, oh, I don't like this person. I like the other person who likes that person. And that it could be that. Right. But it could also just be like, who knows? Well, Kingdom I, Hearts is like 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 put into all of us like go it's another layer deeper. No, right. it's another layer deeper. 
Well, and part in of reality, the thing they're is too, just all friends. That no one is in love with anyone. They're all they love they're each all other, children. But they're all friends, <laughs> right? Well, and the thing is, two people are like getting mad that like they're like, I want a sex scene. No, no, <laughs> dear, dear God, no. But people are like getting mad. I'm not legally allowed to play this game. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get banned. Uh, they, FBI, open up! No, stop, dude. What's wrong with you? They're gonna come here now. Uh, no, people are getting angry about um, the whole Riku Namine connection. Mm. And Nomir himself even said that Riku and Namine's hearts are very connected because of the Riku replica. Mm. And so, like, and they really, that scene, there's no words in that scene when he goes to pick Namine up. Yeah. But there's fucking, like, rose petals and falling like, from yeah. the sky, and he's, like, holding his it, hand It reminds up. me of uh, FF8. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's very much FF8. And it's like... It's like that scene is played up to be romantic, you guys. Yeah. I know that bums a lot of people out, but that scene when he's picking her up in the ship and there's just they're not rose petals. They're that whatever that Japanese tree is called. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking like about. Like where Guan Yu and the yeah, other brothers yeah. made the promise. It's like blo- cherry blossom or yeah, something, it's something like, like that. that. It's some kind of blossom and those <laughs> leaves Guan- are just everywhere, and he's like holding his hand out, like, mm, and he's looking at his face, like, hey, hey, get on the ship with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that seems very romanticized, and it was done on purpose. You know, they don't, you don't make something look like that very stylistically, like romantic, unless you want it to be. Yeah. But anyway, we've we've gone off on another tangent. <laughs> Does Sora is gay? Does Riku no is gay? Strengths to protect. Now that we've established Riku's light as exceedingly powerful, let's get into its main driving force. The narrative they've been building around Riku since 2010 and arguably earlier and his primary motivation throughout most games, all games after KH1 in the series. What convinced Terra that Riku was worthy of the Keyblade in the first place? Strength to protect things that matter. Arguably earlier, as the association of Riku as protector was emphasized even in 2008 with Coded. Released at the same time as three five eight over two and BBS were in development, basically saying that like Riku is his protector, and that is symbolized in the fact that in like recoded or just coded before it was redone, that he the 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 thing that took physical form was Riku, right? Or like it took a physical form as Riku. Sorry. So half the Disney worlds are about sacrificing the name of love. Um, protecting the person most important to you in the cost of your life and how that led to eventual resurrection and how Hercules and his worlds are directly parallel to Riku that they emphasize at the very start of the game. The only character that has been consistently applied to is Riku. All of it was f- to foreshadow what Riku does in Key- Keyblade Graveyard, a last act of true love and protection. Sora loses all of his friends, his strength, and his will to go on until the only one left beside him is Riku, who outright tells Sora he's worthless now without his friend standing beside him. Who Sora outright tells him. I was like, wait, Riku didn't tell him that. I read that Who wrong. Sora outright yeah. tells. Yeah. Without them, I all my strength came from them. Alone, I'm worthless. Sora, you don't believe that. I know, I know you, you don't. don't. And here the running importance of the strength to protect comes to a climax with Riku protecting Sora for seemingly one last time. One last act of self-sacrifice. Off the back of their conversation, it looks like he's showing Sora... The people you love don't need to be beside or with you for you to be strong. That the strength from wanting to protect and save exists in him all on his own. Sora throughout his journeys grew more and more dependent on the people around him. He grew more and more desperate not to lose them. Where Riku's been acting mostly alone since the end of KH1. The only thing driving him through most games was protecting Sora. 
but ultimately they've been drawing their strength from the same place. He's showing it to Sora now. He's trying to inspire Sora with the strength to hold on. Ultimately, the power of true love brings Sora back, or at least enables him to persist death, and in turn he brings back everyone else. The final world. And so they die, and Sora is brought to the final world. Here, Chirithi says one of the most important lines in the game. What in the hell is that noise? It's the most important line in the game. Just kidding. The line is really the edges of sleep and death touch. One can't help the occasional crossover. Something is holding you here. Refusing to let you go. You're hanging by a thread. The game presents Kyrie as the seemingly sole answer, but it rewards you for looking at the stars, all with very deliberate flavor text. The stars that are unconnected to any character we know, but all illustrate the type of feelings that would allow a soul to persist in the final world. Unresolved love, romantic love, familial love, the love between siblings or close, close friends, or even adversaries who enjoyed fighting together. Love of all kinds, strong bonds you don't want to let go of, feelings you don't want to give up. Cheerthy itself doesn't mention specifically what's allowing Sora to persist, but the only two voice cutscenes both purposely mention Kairi and Riku. When Naminé's star cutscene, we understand that it's Kairi that keeps Sora's form together. She's fighting with all her strength to keep you from fading away. So the reason I retain my fo- so the reason I retain my form in this place. When Nameless starts cutscene, we understand it's Riku's words that allowed Sora's heart, heart to persist, heart, the hope to persist, to arrive in the final world in the first place. He's saying, "Oh, so you mean no? In my heart, he will return without any proof." Exactly. Believe. Basically saying, oh, so you're saying I should basically fully believe oh, in my it. heart that he, he will return or whatever. But a friend of mine looked me in the eye and said, you don't believe that. When we look at the other stars present in this section, it becomes obvious what's keeping them persisting in the final world is the need to hold on, to not give up either re- their regrets or their happy feelings or unfinished business. And that's what Riku's impact on, so- impact on him was. To put shortly together, Kairi saves Sora's body, Riku saves Sora's hearts. Here lies the biggest and most probably overt hint that Riku is more important in this whole sequence than surface level presented, which is almost completely obscured in the English translation. What Riku tells Sora in Keyblade Graveyard is repeated, obviously quoted and directly attributed to what saves Sora, keeping him persisting and the light that pulls him into the darkness. So the translation is, Sora, I believe in you. You won't give up. And then Sora's conversation with the Nameless Star goes a bit differently too. Ah, you too, you're not giving up. Same Riku phrase. Not giving up. Ah, that's an option too. I hadn't even thought about it. I think it's better that way. There's someone I know who taught me there's no option to give up. Same Riku phrase. This context of this conversation makes what keeps a heart persisting clearer than the English version. Sora recognizes not giving up as something Nameless Star is already doing by virtue of your being present in the final world at all. And the biggest change... So it's like saying he knows that Riku saved him. Right. Or, like, gave him the strength to... Not give up. Yeah. And the biggest change, the bottom lines in the journal entry of this entire section were omitted from the localization entirely. In the English paragraph it was replaced with is nowhere to be seen in the Japanese version of the journal. Returning to the Keyblade Graveyard, Sora met up with Kairi. Kairi had been waiting in the darkness of the Devil's Wave, Japanese name for what we call Demon Tide. With the power of the pure light of the new seven hearts, Sora's heart was stopped from fading away. Taking Kairi's hand, he returned to the Keyblade Graveyard at the point before their defeat. The don't, give her, the don't ever give up will of a heart of light overturned the overwhelming power of darkness. Worth noting here that while they both say something along the lines of not giving up, Kairi's phrase comes later and uses different tense and subject. 
Riku's words are the ones directly fitting what was left of the quotation in the journal. Kairi, I just didn't give up on you. Riku, I believe you won't give up. The journal really includes Japanese symbols and quotation marks <laughs> in a way that almost makes it seem out of place. And just like all the other times it's come up since he said it, it uses Riku's exact wording. Like the conversation with Nameless Star, which happens before Kairi says her own version. Riku is the one being directly quoted, and you can definitely see how purposely this whole thing was worded, so that the so that down the line be able to turn and go, this is why it's Riku. Long story short, never give up, and they have this picture of Riku. Is he supposed to be like somebody? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the joke. So here's what we have to do, ladies and gentlemen. As much as I hate to do this, we are going to shelve the Sleeping Realm Theory for a week, because next week is our 13th episode. It's a special episode. It's a special episode, and our 13th episode is all organization 13. It's all organization. It's all all organization. It's hella nerdy talk about organization members, and which is the coolest, most badass, cutest, coolest, most handsome, most beautiful. Thank you. Don't leave Larkseen and Chion out. (laughs) Most crusty. No. Most callous. Most badass. Most Power is pure strength, member of the organization. Mostest. So that's what, <laughs> that's what we're doing next week. We're going to rank them. We're going to talk about them. We're, we might play a bunch. We're gonna, our theme song is going to be the organization, organization 13 song. Zigbar might drop a few lines in there. We, we're going to get crazy with it next week. So that's what we're doing next week. And then the following week, we will continue with the Sleeping Realms theory. Um, because this is a long theory, and I want to give it its due. Yeah, I want to so give it episode fourteen. It might not be completely no. about the sleeping world. No, series. we It'll might have some part, more. We might have some nor- and then more some other stuff you. on yeah. there. Yeah, but this has become a three-part series. I don't think it will be four-part. That would no be, way. That would be crazy. No way. That would be nuts. So that would be insane. Insano in the braino. Anyway, if you guys want to hit us up, answerreportpodcast at gmail you can comment on the YouTube version of this episode. You can hit us up at Spike Getty Bros on Twitter. Or you can leave us a dope review on iTunes and give us five stars and just say, hey, dope podcast. We love it. These are the boys. These are the boys you need to listen to in the Kingdom Hearts community. Anyway, thank you guys for hanging with us. Next week's Organization 13 week. Jason, you want to hit them with the... Uh, With the, the what? The ending. What? With the quote. Oh, yeah. There's that thing that Yen Sid always told me before I went off on our important mission. Thank you. Thank you. May your heart be your guiding key. Oh, thanks, Gooster. See you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.